Okay, here at um, IRT, catching up with Peter Huntington from KER. Firstly, Pete, welcome. Welcome back. Hi, Paul. Um, something very, very different uh, here today, but um, one, we've got to say thank you to the team here at IRT for allowing us to do it um, in their offices, and hopefully Lockie's going to take me for a bit of a walk later on. But um, springtime is an incredibly busy time for racehorses, full stop. Racing really starts to hot up, and it's going to start hotting up after next weekend. But... Um, there's a lot goes on behind the scenes, and, and you've been, I suppose, at the forefront this year with all called Romantic uh, Warrior. Um, that's one of the favourites, I think, for the Cox Plate. Is that right? Cox Plate, yeah. Yeah, yeah. coming out here for the Cox Plate. There's, I suppose, a, a bit of an issue with the feed, um, and you had to basically redesign another feed for this horse. Yeah, well, so um, because of Australia's quarantine regulations, you can't just bring the feed with you. So. Um, you certainly can't bring any hay, so you'll feed Australian hay. Um, they can bring supplements if the buckets aren't opened, um, generally. But um, with feed, uh, feed has to be irradiated to kill any weed seeds, principally. Um, and some feeds, it doesn't work, they don't work very well after irradiation, so people choose not to bring the feed. Um, and that was the case with the rheumatic warrior, so they put him onto a feed, another Australian feed, but the horse didn't eat it that well in quarantine. So that got everybody worried, and then uh, I think, uh, you know, just a few days before he's due to fly, we, I sort of got a call and said, can you do something? And yes, we did manage to design a feed that was similar to the feed that he was normally on in Hong Kong and get it made here by uh, Pet Horse and Farm, who um, are one of the suppliers for quarantine, and they're happy to make you know small volume custom batches and then the horse got here he was a bit a little bit standoffish for um, um, the first feed um, but then he started tucking into it and his stable his traveling companion uh, bolted into it straight away so i'm going to go back a couple of steps array array what was radiation array, so, yep x-rays x-rays so and feed has to be um that's part of the biosecurity to make sure you kill weed seeds. That's what people are worried about. It's either weed seeds or viruses. So we're looking to kill um, uh, kill those uh, seeds particularly. And uh, with some feeds, especially the ones that have got a lot of molasses in them, uh, that tend can can cook it a bit and make it um, smell like Christmas cake and the horses don't always like that. So we've been doing these sort of custom feeds for horses from Europe for many years. Uh, some people still bring their own feed. They're happy to go through the cost and, and, and potential upset of that process. But with others, we've uh, designed feeds that are, I guess you'd say, images. They're not exactly the same, but they're images of the feeds they're on in Europe. And um, this was an instance where it was from Hong Kong, and that was an American feed. Well, that, that was the next part I was going to say. Was, the interesting part of this horse is in Hong Kong, um, but we're on an American feed. Forgive my ignorance, do they make feeds in Hong Kong? Do they have, or do they import all their feeds? No, they're all, they're all imported. So there's some Australian feeds, there's some European feeds, and the majority are American feeds. And we've got some feeds of our own in Hong Kong um, that uh, some trainers use, and this was a... This feed was another American feed. It was the sort of most popular uh, feed there. Um, and uh, for a number of reasons, that wasn't approved to come here. So uh, we made, uh, I suppose you'd say, a facsimile of it. <laughs> that that like, is quite intriguing in itself, the fact that um, Hong Kong, all their feeds are imported. I mean, obviously put a great expense onto them, but I would imagine for you guys too, you 
then dealing with an international jurisdiction, a very busy jurisdiction as well, quite regularly. I would, I would, I would say you'd be called on. I mean, I only heard about this basically through the radio, and I was like, hang on, there's a story here because of what actually going on, but there's so many more stories that come out of it. Yeah, well, we've been selling feed to Hong Kong for years. They're a great um, to the jockey club. They've now got a base in China, so they ship, you know, most of the feed goes to Hong Kong and then some goes up into China. Uh, there are feeds made in China, we, but they can't necessarily get into Hong Kong. And uh, so we work with a company in Beijing making feed over there. And um, so one of my colleagues is actually at the Asian Games in Hangzhou, which is where they're feed is um they're the feed supplier there the feed's being used but um yeah for for this situation it's something we've done before each one's a little bit different um with these feeds and some of them are challenges around raw materials that are commonly used in europe or america that we don't have here because your average sort of racing feed that you have here will and i've just got an example there um, I'll, be, I'll take a photo of it or something take anyway, a photo yeah. Paul Barristock Furlong, new feed. And things that we put in these feeds, like uh, sunflower seeds and lupins, are uh, a good ingredients, but they don't use them overseas. So you've got the risk that the horse will not like the, um, you know, the ingredients that it's not, that it's not used to. And um, the European and American feeds use a lot of sugar beet pulp. Uh, they sometimes use soybean hulls. Um, and other, other sort of uh, super fibre sources. Um, interestingly, their oats are usually not quite as good as ours. We've got better quality oats. And uh, the corn can be treated differently. This American feed had cracked corn in it, whereas normally you would put steam flaked or micronized corn, the European ones do. Which we used to do cracked many moons yeah, ago, many but, but ago. now we don't. There doesn't seem to be anywhere, does it? No, that's right. Although some people still use it, and there are perhaps some benefits in terms of palatability and and things like that. But, uh, so there's difference. There's many different ways to feed horses well, but I think the main thing is to keep them eating. And uh, so we're making a feed that's made very freshly. You know, it was made on a Thursday, and the horse arrived on a Saturday. So in a small batch, it's fresh. It, it wasn't a big change in terms of ingredients, and so you want the horse to eat, and uh, that's the key thing. We started doing this, I think Bauer, who ran second in yep. the Melbourne Cup to viewed in a photo, it was the first time we did it, where we uh, designed a feed to mimic what Luca Kamani was feeding in England, and uh, that horse just got beaten and um, have made custom feeds for, for years. Um, Red Cadeau, who uh, multiple second place getter, was on one. Um, and interesting, that's an interesting story because the year he got beaten by Protectionist, Protectionist was meant to be on Australian feed or, a, or an imported feed, I can't remember which one, but he wasn't eating and he was in the same barn as Red Cadeau and the Red Cadeau people, Robin, Trevor Jones, lent them some of their feed, Protectionist started eating and then he beat them in the Melbourne <laughs> Cup. So, <laughs> he had enough energy to get past them. <laughs> they, yeah. they wouldn't have been um, happy. What, how, do, how do you go about, well, actually, one part, back one step for a second, Kentucky Equine Research is started in Kentucky. I know they're a worldwide company now. Did they supply this horse's American feed, or was it another company that uh, fed this horse? Well, it was another manufacturing. We don't, we don't manufacture Of course, you don't supplements, so yeah. Yeah, ourselves, it was a company in Kentucky that was, uh, that was making the feed that uh, we, we know well, and uh, so uh, and that feed was then shipped to, shipped to Hong Kong. Um, 
so we had a bit of an idea about what was in the feed. We had a bit of a head start, whereas sometimes when you design these feeds, you don't really, you know the nutrient content, but you don't know the ingredient proportions. And I try and uh, near as, uh, try and you know, mimic the ingredient proportions when you're making a, a, an image feed. I've got so many questions. If you, if you, this one, you said there was a little bit easier because you would, I, I gather the guys from Kentucky Equine in America would have been able to facilitate you with different feeds and their, Inf and their information. Th yeah, which would, would make it a lot easier. Yes. Those ones that you don't know, do you jump on a plane and go over and physically look at the feed or how do you, how do you go well, about it? Okay, well, we try what we've done there. There's a couple of uh, things that happen. There are some English companies who've been happy to share the formulation with me. So we sign a confidentiality yep. agreement and, and they go, well, this is the formulation and we go, well, we can make it, you know, we haven't got all of those ingredients, but we can uh, make a, a pretty, good pretty good copy or an image of it. And other times you have to do it just, um, you do it on the nutrient content and then you've got a list of the ingredients and then you've got a photo and so you're trying to, and I did one this year for a horse that's going to Sydney uh, and it looks at least photographically, it looks to have turned out to be a reasonable, uh, reasonable image. Um, of the uh, of the existing feed. That must be something for the guys um, here in Victoria. I, I don't know if they make the Sydney feed. If you've got it getting made in Sydney, but it no, must be the same people. Yeah, the same people make the feed. Yeah. Must be so. I might have to go and have a look. Must be so hard for them to say, all right, we've got to at the end of the day, we've got to make everything the nutrient quality and the protein mm -hmm. levels, everything else the same. But we're also got to get it looking like this same picture. It must be pretty tricky for them. Well, and you want to get smelling for the horse. The smell of the yeah. is really important. So. Um, uh, you know, this American feed is very heavy in molasses, so we, you know, use more molasses than we normally would. Uh, the European feeds are less so, but you've got to make sure you use the same sort of oil that they would use over there, whereas, so here we would use more canola oil in feeds, and there they use soybean oil, so we made sure we use soybean oil. Um, yeah, try and get the molasses content right, the stickiness right. And um, yeah, it seems to be uh, seems to work out pretty well. Sometimes it's about um, you know getting an appropriate pelleted feed or cube feed because there's a lot more of those fed to racehorses in Europe than there is there is here. And uh, so we're looking at a similar sort of feed. So there's a feed uh, we've had uh, you know low GI cube that's a can be a breeding feed, can be a performance feed, can be a racing feed, and it's been fed to a number of horses that have run uh, placings in the Melbourne Cup, and people go, you look at that, oh, it's not a racing feed, but it can be, and, and it is. So we've got a Marmelo and Spanish Mission, both uh, both place getters, uh, did it on that feed, so uh, yeah. Serious, on, on low GI? Low GI, yeah. Yeah. Because it is a great feed if uh, you've got horses doing rehab in boxes, because it um, doesn't give them a peak in a spike in uh, energy it's a very very it's what it yes, is it's a yeah. slow, slow release energy feed and that suited the style of training of those horses there are a few people use it over here but uh, yeah it's uh, it's a matter as I said there's a lot of different ways you can feed a horse well and but the the key thing is to get the horse eating um, you said there before about molasses um, is it like corn is it different in America to Australia because I you know I know sometimes people different companies some horses won't you know drink anyway molasses from some com companies as compared to others yeah the molasses is a little bit different so Americans use the sort of um, the blackstrap molasses which is thick and gooey especially in the winter um, here for convenience uh, we're using a processed molasses where the molasses is mixed with a little bit of oil 
uh, whereas they do it over there, they mix it themselves and put a bit more oil in in winter to make sure it flows. But it's, it's um, yeah, the molasses here is a, is a process form to make it easy, easier, easier to work with. What is the main part to get right? You said there before about the smell, and, and like I know horses are so sensitive. Uh, am I right in saying they basically only have two types of taste, if you like, like sweet and sour. It's not necessarily that way, but they, the, the taste is not as important as potentially the smell. Uh, it's, if I knew what stopped horses eating and made them start eating before, <laughs> we could be on an island and, yep. uh, and putting the feet up and having a, having a feet at Galata. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's a combination. I think, it's, I think smell's pretty important. Um, taste obviously is as well. I don't think we really know, you know, the detail of how how horses um, of, of what drives their taste. And there are some horses, you know, we generally think the sweeter the feed, the more molasses on the outside, the better they'll eat it. But some don't, yep. you know. And it, it's often what they're used to. Yeah. You know, they're creatures of habit, and unlike, you know, we'd like to have different dinner every night. Um, I think the horse probably is better off if they have something pretty similar. Yeah. That is, that is one thing I, I know a lot of people, there's some of the best trainers, they, they're all about consistency. They don't change. Even if they give them a day off, they don't cut any feed out because the horse is just like that consistent feed all the time. Oh, well, if you, if you give them a day off, I think you've got to cut the volume back, though. Yep. Otherwise, you've got to risk of tying up. Yep. Um, so, so feed the same, but just less feed of each. The same, but less, yeah. Like if you're having, you know, Sunday off, give them a half... Saturday, half dinner, Saturday night, half breakfast, Sunday morning, and then normal feed again Sunday night would be what I would do. How rewarding is it for you to know that uh, Romantic Warrior, when it came over here, and um, I believe the first night at eight, um, didn't savage the feed yeah. bin, but by the second day they were wrapped with how, how how rewarding is that, not just for you, but I would imagine for KER and the, and the company as, as a whole? Oh, yeah, it's very gratifying. You, you're sort of doing your best to, to try and solve a problem, and, and when it works out, it's not just us. It's Pet Horse and Farm who do a good job at uh, making the feed at short notice. I think, um, you know, I think I had some discussions on a Tuesday evening, and then by Wednesday morning it was confirmed that they wanted it, and we got a formula, and then the feed got made on the Thursday. And delivered to Werribee, and the horse arrived on the Saturday. So pretty good service. Uh, Absolutely, service by James Vanderpol down at uh, Pet Horse and Farm. That, that, that's an amazing turnaround, um, and then to have the horse feed, eat, and it must be so good again. Like we're here at IRT, but to travel horses to Australia from Hong Kong on an American feed to know that they can get what basically uh, uh, as close as a mimic. To what they're they're getting over there with a the horse, I would imagine by the sounds must be a little bit of a finicky eater as well. Yes. So yeah. it's got to be good for Australian relations. Full stop. <laughs> well, Hong Kong Jockey Club, there's a lot of um, prestige involved in you know sending a horse out. They haven't sent horses here to run too often, so there's, there's a little bit of stress about all of, all of that. And um, so uh, yeah, I mean it's um, it's important if the horse gets here and and doesn't eat, then you're not going to be able to train it, and if you can't train it, then it won't be fit enough. And uh, you know that's a real chance for the cox plate that horse. But there'll be other horses come this year running the you know running the Melbourne Cup, um, and some going to Sydney. So there's a few feeds have gone up to Sydney for. Uh, their horses coming to run in the Golden Eagle and, and those sort of races. Um, so I think we've done three feeds. I don't know the name of the horses. Or oh, one of them 
Jimi Hendrix, I do know that one. What a great <laughs> name. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix, that one sticks to my heart. What a feed for Jimi Hendrix. Um, it, like, and it's, as I said, it, it suits here with IRT as well, being able to fly them. And I know the, the European flight is actually what's going to land in Australia, I think, Saturday um, in yeah, Sydney always, and then to here. It gets here grand final day. Wow. And then there's a second flight in October for uh, two weeks after comes out for people who don't want to come for as long. Um, so, yeah, it's been going on for a number of years. IRT do a great job in terms of the preparation of the horses and uh, it's a matter of... You know, part of it would be acclimatising them to the hay in Europe uh, that they might be feeding here because, you know, when you when you change feeds, colic is always one of your risks and the biggest thing there is probably a change of hay is the, is the biggest risk or a massive change in the amount of grain that you're feeding or type. But the hay is a big one. So we're trying to get a hay here. We can't get exactly the same hay because some of the grasses they grow over there or the hays they like, like Timothy hays them biggest hay for racehorses around the world made in western US, Washington and Oregon um, that would be fed in Hong Kong but we don't have Timothy hay here so we're going to get a grass hay that's as close to Timothy hay. So Timothy hay is predominantly a grass hay or? Well Timothy hay is, Timothy is a grass, it's yeah. a species of grass but it doesn't grow here, Yeah, won't grow and it's a great hay, it stays nice and green, palatable um, yeah, is probably the number one hay for racehorses. So here we've got loosened hay. Well, that's different. That's a legume, so that's different. And then the grass hays can be very, very variable. Um, you can get some very nice grass hays, uh, but then you'll get some average ones too. And last season wasn't a great year for haymaking, hay so um, having enough of good quality hay stuck away uh, is a, was a very important part of the preparation. So again, Pet Horse and Farmer got uh, some good sources of hay for these these horses coming out here. There are so many other factors because people might say, well, there was so much grass around last year, but it was so wet. And well, it, it was wet. It rained when they were making the hay yep. and, and, and it got ruined. So... Um, yeah, there'll be people running out of hay before we get this they are. Hay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm in central Victoria and I'm well and truly aware there are a lot yeah. of people already saying we're in trouble we for hay. hay. Um, and that's, we then got to have this year to grow as well, so yeah. yeah. Well, this year's, it'll come, it'll be harvested early. It's been so dry. Yeah. Grass will go to seed, it'll, we'll get it harvested early. So it's, um, yeah, so there's that aspect too. Um, sometimes there are supplements that they can't get and we try and advise on the right sort of supplement, usually recommend one of ours yep. where we can. Um, and, uh, but that, just, just on that, where you can, so obviously you're, you're there to facilitate and to help them, but if KER don't have, if there is another company that have a, fee, uh, sorry, a supplement that might be closer, you will... Recommend that, yes. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, you're doing what's best for the horse. I mean, one of the things... One of KR's mottos is to try and, you know, feed horses better so they're healthy and more productive. So we're looking out for the horse, number yeah. one. Yeah, and Barristock or Ridley over here, horse comes first. I yeah. mean, that's, and that's, it's a great motto. They are, they are great mottos, yeah. and it's probably something that IRT... Could, with IRT, it's, it's quite interesting because I, I have a standard bred background and I know Duncan McPherson uh, just flew a horse to America, Elder Baron Zeus, who ran fifth in the um, international at Yonkers, um, a huge race over there, and he said he couldn't have done it without the help of IRT um, and the feed companies because they know who to deal with over there. So it, it, it's it's a huge, huge undertaking flying horses out here that not just having them fit, having the right jockey in right track conditions, that so much goes on behind the scenes. 
Absolutely, and um, it's a matter of, uh, you know, IT have been doing it for a long time. Uh, they're very professional at it. Um, and, and do a very good job. But, you know, there's plenty of things can go wrong. Uh, travel sickness. Yeah. Uh, you know, 5% of horses travelling for more than 24 hours in the old days, you know, could get travel sickness. can be life-threatening. Yes. Yeah. usually, you know, pleuritis. So um, those sort of things are the, the right veterinary preparation there, the right veterinary supervision in terms of monitoring temperatures when they're on the flight, having dust-free hay when they're on the on the plane to reduce the risk of dust inhalation, trying to get them to have their heads down, these sort of things. Um, it's a bit easier uh, on flights these days where you're not stacking them in quite as much. You know, it's not four to a pallet. And, yep, uh, yep. Uh, and so the... Um, but a key thing is getting them here quickly. And I know there was one year where I think the windscreen cracked in the Middle East somewhere when they were coming out, and that was a touch and go, whether they had to take the horses off, and if they had to take them off, then... Quarantine issues. Quarantine, big quarantine issues. And, and you want to keep the horses cool on the flight. That's a really important part. I mean, Lockie can talk more yep. about that. But it's... Um, yeah, there's a lot of a uh, lot of learned experience to avoid problems, well, and particularly when they're going to run again so quickly. Yeah, you know they're flying. Those of us who've who've uh, flown uh, to Europe know you get off and you, you wouldn't necessarily want to be an athlete again. Yeah, <laughs> so soon Knock, afterwards, knocks them around. Yeah. Um, water. And when we talk about nutrition and nutritional values, I know water is one of those things that people are looking a lot more into. How important is that for horses travelling like from Hong Kong to here or is that something that you can mimic a little bit oh, closer? One of the things people do is they'll weigh the horse and you're looking to minimise the weight loss and get the horse back to their previous weight as quickly as possible. And a lot of that's dehydration. And dehydration is partly, okay, because they're not drinking as much. So as a matter of feeding them enough, one of the things that stimulates thirst is, um, is uh, hay consumption, but you don't want to overfill them full of hay, so if you're, and, but you want to have water that they want to drink. And then when they get here, some electrolyte supplementation. So IRT use, um, we get an electrolyte paste or a store paste. They use yep. that on horses that arrive. Um, and the elevation in plasma sodium stimulates the horse to drink. Yeah. Yeah, so there is so many parts of it. Do you go to Werribee? Do you go out and see the horses, or is it, is it your job done once you get the feed and you get the feedback? I have, I have been out there at, at different times, um, but uh, it's a quarantine setup, so it's a bit complicated there. So um, to get in, you know, getting in and out, and you know, it's all the showering in and yeah, like that. So I've, I've done it, but yeah, we try and set the feed up in in advance and uh, and, and then. Let everything else go yes, and get the feedback. Follow, follow on from, from that. You, you, you're a, an animal uh, lover. I know that for a fact. Uh, do you do you love the racing side of it, or is it is is it more so around? You know, I suppose probably trying to improve um, horses as a general that that you drives Peter Huntington. Oh no, I, I'm very interested in the racing. Racing in you know, horses that you had an involvement with. Uh, we're pr very involved in some breeding farms, so sometimes it's horses you fed as foals or in utero, things like that. I, um, uh, yeah, I don't go to the races all the time, but I'm certainly certainly be watching them and, and reading about them, and uh, we'll uh, try and be there a few times in Melbourne Cup week at Flemington. 
Yeah, and I mean, I've seen you at uh, horse events like um, Barristock um, and and the likes. You get to those, and they are just as important. I mean, you say yes. there about the Olympics and things along those lines. So I, I would imagine you guys are constantly evolving, I suppose, and constantly learning as well. Yeah, I mean, you never stop learning with horses. That's one thing. So yeah. that's one of the interesting things about it is that you don't stop learning. So I'm very happy to still be involved. I've been, you know, been uh, horse vet for uh, you know over 40 years and doing nutrition pretty solidly for 30 of them. And, um, yeah, I've still got plenty to learn. So uh, so just you're a qualified vet? Yes. Is that, yeah, so you're a vet first and then you've moved basically to the, the nutritional side of things. Yes. That's great. I mean... Well, I sort of thought... I thought originally, Paul, it'd be a better, better, more family-friendly lifestyle because you didn't have to work nights and weekends. <laughs> it hasn't worked, quite worked out. I, I would imagine there'd be long hours overnight when you're talking to people during the daytimes oh, and yeah. trying to get uh, to, yes. to catch it up. Yes, yeah, those long hours and travel and all those sort of things. But uh, you go to some interesting places when you travel and uh, not so much in the last few years, but we're getting back on the bandwagon a bit soon. So. Yeah, well, that's, and I suppose that would have changed a lot of things. I suppose that's made... Yeah, we'd, we'd say talk about um, COVID and not being able to travel, so you would have had to work different ways. I'm pretty sure it was KER and uh, Ridley. They actually basically were people having trouble. They were getting people to video how their horses were eating, what they were eating and things along those lines. So I would imagine some parts of that probably makes it a little bit easier but also makes it a bit harder for you as well. Well, it does. Um, you know, some of the... We've done a lot of education over the years. You used to go somewhere and do seminars and people would come and uh, listen to you. But then with COVID and the development of Zoom, we'd never heard of Zoom before yeah. uh, COVID and uh, you can do webinars so it's easy and we were doing them in the height of COVID we'd do webinars here and we'd have people from 20 countries logged onto them so that's greater amplification of um, use of uh, your time and and a message about feeding horses better can be spread further around the world than just you know a talk at uh, Bendigo at Juniton at the Bendigo yep. trotting track where you only get people from the local area. Yeah, you get out to a, big, a larger audience, larger audience um, yeah. and go from there. But I must say, the the face to face ones. The flip side of that is, um, you probably get more interaction, positive interaction, maybe from one or two people because they may not have tuned into a Zoom, but to physically yes, be yes. able to see there and, and throw that once one curly one at you, um, and they get an answer, and then you go from there. The curly ones are interesting too. Oh, they are indeed. Um, KER is a worldwide um, company that must make it a lot easier as well to, to be able to, I suppose, deal with other countries and get an understanding from other countries as well. Yes, yeah, because we've got a presence in those other countries. So we've got, um, you know, we work with a really good client in England, so uh, Saracen Horse Feeds and um, so the Jimi Hendrix feed, he was on, that horse was on their feed and so... They've said, well, this is exactly what the feed was and we can make a, a feed that's very similar to that. Yep. So that, that helps us. We understand American feeds uh, and we understand the haze people use and different feeding practices. So, uh, yeah, I've been lucky enough to probably visit 20-odd countries to talk about horse nutrition yeah. for 30 years. So. I think, it's, I think it's great, Pete, and as I said, I was lucky enough just to be uh, listening on the radio and happened to uh, see it uh, or hear it the other day, and I thought, Here's a, here is a great story. And um, I am sponsored by Barristock. KER are affiliated with those guys, but I think this is just one for horse people in general to be able to be, uh, be aware. And I imagine if people have any queries to get in touch with you guys at KER would be the best way to, to yes. with their nutrition. I mean, it's not always that easy, but that'd be the starting point. We've got a, a good advice service that... Um, 
you know, if they're sort of veterinary related issues, they'll tend to come to me, but they'll get other people who are very experienced uh, nutrition advisors try and help. And the, the, the advice may be something around forage, you know, yep. we don't have a stake in that. It may be about feed or it may be, you know, supplementation. Often people are using the wrong supplements, too many supplements. We try and make it simple. The other thing I'd, I'd mention is our Equinews, our website, it's got a fantastic educational resource called Equinews, uh, which is, there's tens of thousands of articles on nutrition, feeding, health, and other things related to horses. And they're short articles, they're not, they're written by, um, they're not written by scientists, so they're easy to, or vets, so they're easy to understand. Understand, yep. Yeah, Mark Lowellen's been the Equinews editor for years, and um, you can search under a particular topic there. Um, and you'll get, you know, if you search under gastric ulcers, you'll probably get 30 articles, that sort of thing, over, of new information over the years. And we've also got a newsletter, electronic newsletter, that you can sign up for. It comes out fortnightly with three articles. Um, and uh, there's, that's a fantastic resource of information that is, is readily accessible. And one of the uh, incredible, and, and one of the problems with the rise of the internet is that people think, <laughs> You Google something and it's what you get is correct. Dr. Google. Dr. Google. And Dr. Google, it's not always right. And just because something's up there and just because somebody says, uh, you know, has a website that looks smart or has a blog or something like that, it doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. Yeah. And we see a lot of that in horse nutrition. There's a lot of people who aren't qualified, aren't experienced enough and are giving bad advice. Put a flashy bag, flashy hats, yeah, and, all, and go from there. Sort of yeah. yeah, and so I think uh, what we're what we're offering there is is. And off now with Peter's um, people might be aware the camera might have just stopped there. I encourage people to go to KER's website, the American one, to just understand the depths that they go to. Um, I suppose in in their research with the nappies uh, and and I actually love the way that they look after each of the horses each horse is named, you can follow their horse's journeys um, and, and what they do, so it's not just as you were saying there before about being creditable with um, being a credible reputable um, organisation if you like, but it's also the research that does go behind it, you guys put it out there and back up the research that you are doing because it's there to be seen on the KER uh, website and I'm pretty sure you're going to help me out, KER, I think it's just KER KR.com, I think. KR.com, yeah. 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 So there's a lot of information uh, there. And research underpins what we do. And there's many unsolved problems or things we need to know more about in horse nutrition and exercise physiology. We've been doing it uh, for, um, you know, 35 years. And outside the universities, we're definitely the, you know, biggest... uh, equine nutrition researcher and we think that's a really important part of what we do. We've got our uh, base in central Kentucky in Versailles, um, uh, which uh, Australians would pronounce as Versailles, Americans pronounce as Versailles, we would pronounce it as Versailles, (laughs) not far from Lexington and uh, home of the uh, Red Mile. And uh, we've also got a uh, a performance centre in Florida where we've got a racetrack there so we can actually do work on horses that are in tra- full training and that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that backs up more 
you know, and, the and credibility. Well, this, well, this great herd of old research horses, so we'd be really well placed to do work on old <laughs> old horses. We got but they are from every different range too, aren't they? There is ex-race horses. Um, when I last looked at it, yeah. there's also eventing horses. They were, they were champion eventing horses that they've got another home. Um, you get a lot of people say about research with animals, and they think it's cruel. This is oh, this no, is no, life after this yeah, is life after work, and it's it's a great well, life. Well looked after, yeah. They yeah. were horses that uh, were race horses for Joe Pagan, for Joe, and uh, they've uh, found a home uh, in the research centre later on. Pete, thank you. Thank you very much for giving us a little bit of insight into what goes on, and uh, well done to Kia um, and everyone involved as well. Um, I forgot the name of the feed company. You're going to help me out at, uh, that's made the feed? Pet Horse and Farm. Pet Horse and Farm. Here at Bannockburn or Keelor. Um, make sure you go and check those guys out as well if you've got any issues, I would imagine, because um, the research they're doing behind the scenes as well would be yeah, awesome. Yeah, they make custom feeds for a number of, uh, number of trainers and also make them for, um, yeah, do a nice job, fresh feeds, you know, having fresh feeds, I think, is really important for horses, and uh, they'll um, they'll put uh, can put some nice feeds together. Usually, um, uh, mix of grains and some pellets and things like that. But there's a whole variety of them out there. Oh, thank you. Make sure you get in touch with the guys at Kentucky Equine as well, and um, and go from there. Pete, thank you. Really appreciate taking a bit of time to uh, give us a bit of an insight, mate. I know you've got to go and look at some horses and mares and foals, I would imagine, today in yearlings. So I uh, really do appreciate it. And thank you very much to the guys from IRT for allowing us to uh, film this here. And hopefully Lockie might give me a bit of a guided tour in a minute about the uh, facilities downstairs. I might have a double whammy while I'm here. Good. Thank you very much. Okay, see you, Paul.